Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. What's up, Buffalo Fanatics? Josh Allen here. Just wanted to say, uh, go Bills. Baby, what is up? Buffalo Fanatics, Seabot here with you on a Halloween Monday night. Live on the Buffalo Fanatics YouTube channel, it can only mean one thing. It is the smoke break. Happy Halloween to everybody out there in Bell's Mafia. Set yourself up on the couch, get your bag of candy, take your mask off and settle in for a little bit of smoke break here on a victory Monday on the Buffalo Fanatics YouTube channel. Oh, wow. Check this out. I'm taking a look down here at the Monday night game tonight. Bengals Browns. Check it out. I think, uh, Joe Buck and Troy Aikman are dressed up as old school ABC broadcasters and they have on the vintage tuxedos with the vintage ABC logo. That's some cool stuff right there. Love to see that. I'm a sucker for the vintage stuff like this shirt right here. Vintage. And unfortunately for us last night in the second half, we got some vintage Buffalo Bills, some Buffalo Bills that we would rather not see again the rest of the year. We saw plenty of that years ago. And we're sick and tired of seeing it. And when we do wind up having to sit through a full half of what we did yesterday in the second half, it does get you a bit sick. It does get you feeling a bit uneasy, but a win nonetheless last night on Sunday night football football in Buffalo. Bills 27, Packers 17. So you sit here today, right? Victory Monday. We're about 24 hours removed from the kickoff last night. And here are the Bills stand, 6-1, and one, right? Atop of the AFC, best record in the AFC, best record in the AFC East. Obviously, um, a better record at this point in the year than they had a season ago. Seventh straight home victory. A victory by double digits. And you sit here on a victory Monday today, and why is it that you feel uneasy? You feel unsatisfied you feel like a lot was left on the plate last night ultimately you just don't feel all that great if you're like me you slugged through that second half yesterday after an electric first half and when the game came to a close you said meh meh okay six and one onto the jets and that's that's essentially where i'm still at today the nice thing about a game like that is you can feel that way adding a win in the left hand column Last year, a game like what we saw last night would have inevitably wound up resulting in a loss. We saw a game like last night's second half in the Jacksonville Jaguars game, the Pittsburgh Steelers game, the Indianapolis Colts game. All those games culminated into L's. I think people forget that last season, this Buffalo Bills team at one point was 7-6. and 7-6. Six. Seven and six. I think that's easily forgettable the way you saw the Bills take the league by storm in the playoffs. 
But this Bills team a season ago was seven and six. I think we all remember the point in time where the Bills lost to the New England Patriots in the wind game. And the rest of the league and those who cover it were touting New England as not only the better team than Buffalo in the AFC East, they were claiming that the Patriots could potentially be the best team in football. Narratives change constantly, nonstop from week to week. Hell, in this league, hour to hour. But last year, you had your arguments against the Bills the way that they had played the majority of the season. They were 7-6 and six at one point, and I think we forget a lot about how sluggish they had looked at times last season because of how well they played in the playoffs. But here we are today in 2022. The Bills are 6-1. and one. Almost every win that they have had has been by double digits in utter dominance. They have looked incredible the majority of the time this season. And you get a victory last night by 10 with a horrendous second half, and you leave the game saying, man, I'm not impressed at all. Nothing about that game felt great. And I want to kind of dissect the reason as to why we might feel that way. Last night was the Bills' seventh straight victory at home, which in and of itself is impressive. The Bills are now becoming one of, if not the best team at home in the league. And don't think for a second that the home field advantage doesn't matter. And that's why right now the race for the one seed is so important. And that, of course, is why the victory over the Kansas City Chiefs was monumental and, in my opinion, a playoff game. Because that, to me, is going to wind up deciding the one seed. And, of course, that means home field advantage. And this Bills team clearly has a home field advantage. They're getting it done in an extraordinary way at home. And of course, the fans play a big part of it. You saw the scene there last night. But seven straight victories at home, any team would take that no matter how they come. But all seven of those victories, all seven of the Buffalo Bills victories in the last seven home games have been by double digits. They are winning each game at home by an average of almost 15 points a game. They are outscoring their opponents at home by more than two touchdowns on average. And you look at the last seven home games, and especially in this season, right? You look at the last handful. Now, I know the Bills have only played three this season, last night being that third. But the two other home games this season, a 41-7 route against Tennessee, and a 38-3 drubbing against the Pittsburgh Steelers. You take a trip back to last season, 47-17 the last time we saw the Bills at home in 2021 against the New England Patriots, 27-10 against the Jets, 29-15 against the Falcons, 31-14 against the Panthers. So here we are last night, 27-17, Even though the Bills won by 10 against the Green Bay Packers at home last night on Sunday Night Football, that was the lowest margin of victory the Bills have won a football game in Buffalo by in their last seven games. They still won by 10 points. I feel just as uneasy as you do today, but the reason we feel that uneasy is because the Bills have been playing unprecedented, dominant football. So much so that a 10-point victory with a very lackluster second half, feels like the end of the world. That's the precedent, that's the bar the Buffalo Bills have set, not only to the rest of the league, but mainly to us fans, the people who follow them the most, the closest. You couldn't go on Twitter last night, myself included, without everybody saying, man, just that didn't feel right. Nothing about that felt right. And of course, today, that's the main story. And when a game is on a Sunday night, 
slate, right? The standalone game. It's going to be the game today on Monday that's the most talked about. And I can't tell you how many times today I heard uh, the Bills will let you right back in. Can they win a big game? Are they going to be able to overcome this type of second half play in the second half? It's one half of one game. Have you watched the rest of the season? Did you watch the tail end of last season? You don't take away last night being worried about the long term. I think what you take away from last night is understanding that this Bills team, and I've told you this many times on here, they're not going to be able to live up to that bar, that unbelievably high bar that they have set for themselves. They're not going to be able to live up to that each week. The fact that they live up to it more often than not is beyond impressive. They've played three home games this year. Two were a 41-7 win and a 38-3 win. And we sit here today, 27-17 to victory, and we feel like crap. And that's got to be the best. That has got to be the best thing ever as a fan. Us Bills fans used to feel good playing, uh, uh, for instance, and I understand Green Bay is no longer the Packers they used to be. But for instance, you know, you take a, a handful of years ago, the name the Packers alone would have been a big game for the Bills had they have been as bad as they were early on in the 2000s and, and going forward. If they, if they had played a, a game like last night where they kept it close and, and inevitably wound up losing it, the narrative afterwards will be like, hey, they're on their way, right? Played a good team tough. You know, they did some good things, just couldn't get it done. But here we are in 2022, you win by 10, you absolutely destroy them in the first half. You, you sleepwalk through the whole second half. Josh Allen just played his worst second half or his worst half of football in a very, very long time. I really can't remember the last time he's played truly that bad for a full half of football. They win by 10 points. They still score just south of 30. And the Bills D once again holds the opponent to under 20 points. It is very tough to be in this particular position that we are in as Buffalo Bills fans, where the expectation for this team is so high that it's almost, it's almost high enough to where it cannot possibly be reached on a consistent basis. And because of that, they are going to be scrutinized. And I'm not going to sit here tonight and not give them scrutiny. Plenty of scrutiny needs to be delivered after what we saw on the field last night. It wasn't very good. What you're going to remember the most from that game last night is the second half. The first half is forgettable because it's not the last thing you saw. Now, if you were to swap those halves last night and the Bills started out as sluggish as they played in the second half and finished the game the way they played in the first half, the narrative today would be completely different. It's all anybody would talk about. They would talk about how dominant the Bills are and have continued to be and will be in the future, how great Josh Allen is. That would be the narrative today. If you just were to, sw to switch those two halves, but the reality of the situation is no matter what, when that half occurred, the ultimate conclusion would have been the same as it is today. A 10-point victory, 6-1, and one, and in my opinion, still the team that needs to be feared the most in this league. If, if not for anything else, the fact that you can play as bad as the Bills played in the second half yesterday and still not even be remotely worried that they were going to lose that game at any point last season or last night is extraordinary. If you need any argument as to why the Bills should be considered the best team in the league and why they should be considered the Super Bowl favorite and why there's nothing to worry about here, it is the fact that last night, as bad as that second half was, you never once thought they were going to lose, and they still wound up winning by double digits.
I understand today. Me and my dad sat there last night. We were more frustrated than we were excited about the victory. I would venture to believe that the majority of you guys felt the same way. There were plenty of times last night where I'm just like, what the hell is going on? This doesn't look like the Bills at all. Then you look down at the scoreboard, and up until late, it was 27 to 10. And I'm sitting there, and I'm like, yeah, this sucks. It's very boring to watch. It's putting me to sleep. Nothing about this is awfully impressive. Nothing about this is exciting. But I know I'm hitting the pillow tonight with the Bills being 6-1, and one, and that's an absolute guarantee. And that's exactly what happened. The moral of the story here, however, is when you look over the last, you know, uh, portion of games here, especially at home. The Bills have been winning at such an electric rate, at such an unbelievable pace, that a game like last night that just doesn't really impress you, it just seems bad. But that first half was far from bad. It was absolutely terrific. That was the Buffalo Bills that we have seen on display throughout the majority of this year. That's the Buffalo Bills team we have seen win by a massive margin several times this season. The second half, very, very odd to me. I didn't quite understand why it was so poor. Josh Allen, to me, I, I just don't understand what was going through his mind. His decision-making was some of the worst I've seen out of him in a very long time, and I can't quite understand today why that happened. I want to start, I want to start when we, getting into this game, though, about the one thing that I've been preaching about with this team since the beginning of the season, and that's the defense. This defense, once again, and I know it doesn't seem like it after you watch that game last night and see him get gashed up and down the field on the ground, but yet again, this defense, just right what you would expect, consistency is key. Once again, this defense is the X factor for this team in this game. They once again hold their opponent to under 20 points in a game. They are now allowing an average of 14 points a game. They're allowing 14 points a game on average in the NFL in the 2022 iteration of this league where teams score in bunches, where the passing and quarterback play has never been better. This Bills defense is barely allowing two touchdowns a game. And you look last night, right? And as bad as they played on the run, uh, against the run, they only allowed three points more than their average and still held Aaron Rodgers who I understand is not playing near his potential this season, but nonetheless, a two-time MVP in the last two seasons held him to under 20 points. And I understand last night the run game, uh, the, the run defense was, it, it was horrific, right? You kept saying to yourself, hey, are they going to adjust here? They're getting gashed nearly every play. They're getting up and down the field running the ball. But then it kind of hit me. Was that on purpose? Now, part of me thinks it was, and part of me thinks it wasn't. I don't know if we'll know for sure. I don't think the game plan necessarily was to do that going into it because I don't think the Bills expected the Green Bay Packers to run the ball as much as they did. Von Miller spoke to the press after the game, and he said that he was not expecting that much running. He was expecting Aaron Rodgers to try and do Aaron Rodgers things. And the one thing that he said that stood out to me the most, because it, it really hit home with my thoughts last night, he said, they continue to run the ball. We're up 27, we're tw up 27 to 10 here. They're just continuing to run the clock out. And I, I told my dad this time and time again last night, because he was getting incredibly frustrated with the way the Packers were running the ball against the Bills. And I mean, as was I, it wasn't fun to watch, right? 
But I said the same thing to my dad. I go, look at, yeah, they're, they're getting, you know, five, six yards a clip here. But look at the clock. It's exactly what Von Miller said. It's 27 to 10. And there's like two minutes left in the third quarter. This is the only way this entire game they've shown they can move the ball. And, it, and the only way they're going to be able to get all the way down the field and score is to do this. And it's milking the hell out of the clock. They're down by uh, three scores with a quarter left. There's no way that they have enough clock here to wind up winning the game. So part of me thinks that Leslie Frazier saw they were running the ball. And I don't think Leslie Frazier said to the defense, hey, continue to let them just run it down your throat for five, six yards of play. Obviously, they would have much preferred to have stuffed Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon at the line and get the, the Packers to punt the ball and give the ball back to Josh Allen. But they knew they were going to run the ball, and I think that is the reason why there wasn't this overwhelming adjustment. Because at the end of the day, they did run for 208 total yards, but no running back wound up getting in the end zone, and they scored 17 points, one in, one in which a touchdown came very late in the game. The game was pretty much over. So I look at this defense last night. I think the easy takeaway would, would be to say, well, they played like crap. Well, they played pretty much on part of what they've been playing like all year, and I understand the defense – uh, against the run last night wasn't what we're accustomed to, and it wasn't all that impressive by any means at all. But this team has showed you that they'll give you yards. I mean, they gave yards to the Miami Dolphins throughout the day. They only allowed 21 points. They gave up yards to Kansas City throughout the game. They only allowed 20 points. They gave up over 200 yards on the ground last night. They allowed 17 points. I understand a lot of us, including myself, you watch football and you watch the Bills to be entertained. And the way that they play, it's usually you're usually going to get that. So you've become accustomed to seeing really entertaining, high-flying football. Last night wasn't necessarily that in the second half. But when you get down to it, all you really care about is if the Bills win. And that's what they did last night. And this defense was a major part of that. They bent but never broke. And I think even when, the, when they did score a touchdown, for instance, their first touchdown of the game, Romeo Dobbs, that was, a, that was about as good of a throw and catch as you're going to see in the league. It could not have been defended more perfect. The Aaron Rodgers put that in a spot that only Dobbs could get it. He made a terrific catch as a rookie, something he really hasn't done all season. The uh, young wide receiver core for the Packers have been the biggest Achilles heel for this team. If you tune into any football media throughout the week. It's all you hear is Aaron Rodgers running his mouth about how poorly the offense and the, the young players on the, uh, uh, the wide receiver core have been playing. So he made a terrific play. He made an absolutely terrific play, and that was one of their two touchdowns of the game. So it took an Aaron Rodgers play that, frankly, we have not seen all, game, all year this season, and it took an extraordinary play from a rookie in fantastic, perfect coverage to get one of their two touchdowns of the game. I think last night, once again, you saw from the Buffalo Bills defense what you've seen every week. They bend but don't break. They'll give you yards. And really, when it comes down to it, when it matters the most, they're going to shut you down. The Packers went for fourth, for, on fourth down twice last night. They went 0 for 2 in two major spots. Early on in the game, the Packers go for it just inside their, uh, the Bills' territory. So they were going to give the Bills terrific field position. Fourth and three, they run the ball. The Bills stuff them. And then later on in the game, they go for it uh, in a short yardage fourth down situation again after the Packers had already been running it down their throat all game on that drive uh, as well. I mean, they were running the ball very well on that drive. 
But when it mattered the most on fourth down for the Packers to continue that drive and to get back in the game, the Bills D shut them down. So you look at the stats, and yeah, they're not very good. And you look at the the body of work as far as the eye test was concerned last night on the ground, and yeah, it wasn't very good. It wasn't very impressive. But 0 for 2 on fourth down, two major stops. And they made it very difficult for the Packers to get in the end zone. Like I just mentioned, one of their only two touchdowns was an extraordinary play. Nobody was going to stop that. The consistency from this Bills defense has been their bread and butter all season. It's their X factor. It's their difference. And it's, in my opinion, why they end up going the distance this year. It is this defense. They do what needs to be done on a weekly basis. And in a game like last night where it wasn't all that pretty, the end result was still the same. Now, the Bills offense, let's get into that. Because in the first half, it's exactly what we expect from them and then some. It was extraordinary. It was as good of a game as you could have imagined from this Buffalo Bills team on offense. And it's frankly, like I keep saying, you know, what you expect. You expect Josh Allen to run the ball well. You expect him to navigate the pocket well. You expect Stephon Diggs to go off. And you expect them to rack the the scoreboard up. And that's exactly what they did in the first half. Stephon Diggs, once again, an extraordinary game, primarily in that first half. 24-7 to going into half right? 24 to seven. And you're thinking that this is going to be an absolute route. The bills would only go on to score three more points the entire game. And that would come from their first drive in the second half. The one thing that I think is a bit concerning. Now, I don't think it's long-term concerning, but what was very concerning about last night is that they could go from that hot to that cold that quick in particular, Josh Allen. It wasn't just the interceptions. It was flat out bad the whole way around in the second half. He couldn't do anything right. Only had one or two plays of note in the second half, and they would wound up being erased anyways. Like, for instance, the terrific throw to James Cook that he got out of the pocket on, a little lob pass over the top. James Cook gets down into the red zone. They get all the way down to the three-yard line, and Josh Allen would wind up throwing an interception on that three-yard line. I do not understand why Josh Allen played so poorly in that second half. It wasn't like he came out of the gates sluggish, slow, and poor. I mean, he looked terrific. It was a polar opposite performance between the first half and the second half. In the first half, Josh Allen's completion percentage was 72.7. He was averaging just south of 12 yards a throw. Two touchdowns and a passer rating of 151.1. That was going into the half. In the second half, it pretty much cut down the middle. Everything went, went 100% down. 35.7 completion percentage, just over six yards of completion, two interceptions, two terrific interceptions, or horrific, excuse me, horrific interceptions, and an 18.8 passer rating. He went from 151.1 passer rating to an 18.8 passer rating in a 10-minute span in the locker room during halftime. I just don't understand. The two interceptions in particular were just egregious. And this kind of shows you, uh, this kind of shows you my point of how the Bills defense really winds up being the difference, right? They only allowed 10 points in the second half. And uh, early point, the early field goal came on the Packers first drive. So after the first drive, the Bills only allowed seven points in two quarters because the Packers got the ball, the uh, they, got, they got the opening kick in the second half and they went all the way down the field and got that field goal. 
So the Bills D really stood tall for about, I don't know, 25 of the 30 minutes in that second half. So the Bills D, like I mentioned, they get those two fourth down stops. They, do, they did a variety of things right. But the one thing that I think that was, that was overlooked is how well they played on defense and how it was screwed up by the Bills offense in the second half. So the Bills D gets that stop on fourth down in the second half, one of the two that I was referring to. And the Bills, uh, they get all the way into a third and 10 situation, which by the way, last night on third down, as bad as it gets, uh, two for seven on third down and both of Josh Allen's interceptions also came on third down. One of them was in a third and 10 situation where if you watch the throw, Josh Allen gets out of the pocket. And if you look at the screen, he's got nothing but green grass ahead of him. He could have easily have ran that for a first down. Nobody in the league is better at scrambling for a first down on third down than Josh Allen. We've seen it time and time again. It's routine. He could have easily have done it on that play. Yet for some reason, he reverted to rookie year Josh Allen, forcing a throw that was just not there. It was not even close. And it was picked off. The ensuing possession for Green Bay, the next play, the Bills bat the ball in the air and defensive player of the year candidate, in my opinion, and I think it should be in the opinion of everyone, Matt Milano, interception. So the defense immediately erases the, uh, the errant throw from Josh Allen, immediately takes it off the board, wash, done. Bills get the ball back in great field position. And then one of the only good plays of the day or of the second half for Josh Allen comes right after that interception, that lob pass that I was talking about a bit ago to James Cook. He gets it all the way down the field into the red zone. Third down again, did not love the play calling at all in that red zone trip. The first play was opened up with a, with a slant throw immediately off the snap that was nowhere close. It was perfectly covered. It was clearly drawn up to just be that throw and that throw alone, and it just was not there. They get into a third down situation. Josh Allen, once again, scrambles out of the pocket. There's nothing there. It's third down. Throw the ball away. Take the field goal, and the game's a wrap. You're up by 20. Instead, he forces a throw to Gabe Davis that wouldn't even have been a touchdown anyways. He was outside of the end zone, and it's picked off. And that would start a drive for the Packers where they would go 95 yards and get their, their second touchdown of the game. So to me, I look at that second half, and I just it's real head-scratching to me, the two throws that Josh Allen made for those interceptions, both on third down and both very errant, forced throws. It's not stuff that we have come accustomed to seeing from him. And I guess I, I, guess I wonder if just some of it is, you know, you're up so much at half, and, and you know that the game's pretty much in hand. You have the tempo of the game, and he's just trying to make plays. It's tough for me to harp on it, because he's come such a long way in that department. He's come such a long way in not doing stuff like that. But when you do see it rear its ugly head again, it does perk your eyebrows up a bit. And for a guy who's clearly the MVP leader going into last night in a standalone game against Aaron Rodgers, where the whole world's watching, I think I saw last night that that was the most viewed Sunday night football game in a week eight slot in seven-ish years or so. So you got the whole world watching you and everybody knows that these games carry more weight when it comes to, you know, winning an MVP or the way the media talks about you or whatever. 
that was what that was what was shocking to me. In those particular spots, Josh Allen usually plays his best football, and he did so in the first half. That's why it's just so head scratching to me. I'm just kind of confused why it wound up going so south in the second half. But this team is just so good that you can turn the ball over twice like that. You can flat out give up essentially in the second half, which is what they did, and you still walk out of there without really breaking a sweat if you're a fan. I don't think I look at that game last night and I move forward with with concern. I also think last night there's there a lot of things that played into that game that that don't necessarily show themselves. The Packers were playing for their season last night. The Packers had rode into that game on a three-game skid. It's a primetime spot where they know no one's believing in them. Of course, Aaron Rodgers, after the game last week, he tells you, oh, you know, perfect chance to get exposed or whatever. Losing last night essentially ends the season for the Packers. If you look at their schedule going forward, they'd have to win four of their next five just to be seven and six at the bye week for them. It's just not going to happen. They're not making the playoffs. They're not good enough. Their schedule is too tough. Last night was a make or break game for them. So they go into that game with a lot more to lose than Buffalo does. I think they were playing a bit more inspired football than they previously have because they know they got to get their ass in gear or this season's over. And when the Bills get up 24 to 7, I guess I'm, I'm, I'm not a football player. I don't know the mentality. But I'm wondering if, if part of it just is, hey, I mean, we are absolutely kicking the hell out of these guys. You take your foot off the gas. Josh Allen gets a little too cute on a couple of throws. Um, and all of a sudden, it, the game's not as nearly as dominant as it was in the, in the beginning. I think that that might be part of it. But here we stand. I mean, we're, we're talking about all these errors from Josh Allen in the second half. And in my opinion, probably the worst half of football he's played in some time. So you, you take that into consideration. You take up the fact that you gave up over 200 yards on the ground. You only score three points in the second half. And you wind up winning by 10. This team is in such another category. They're in such a different category than anybody else. If anybody else would have played a second half like that last night, they're going to lose the game. You know, the Baltimore Ravens is a perfect example. They usually come out in a game and play a terrific first half, and they they hit the snooze button in the second half, and they they lose. They've lost like three or four games that way this year. So the Bills do that against a team in Aaron Rodgers and the Packers who are not a great team by any means, but they're good enough to make things competitive. I mean, they still really never got it to the point of concern. Even on the final drive there where they, where they kicked the field goal and missed, they're going down to score points that would never have made a difference anyways. They had no timeouts. The Bills would get the ball back and knee it, regardless of what happened on that drive. So it's tough to look at it through that lens when they play such a poor second half, and that's the last thing that you wind up seeing when that game ends. But the fact that you can have all of those things happen and still get a terrific first half and still get a 10-point victory, I think that that shows a lot. They're not going to win every game 38 to three, like the Pittsburgh game or 41 to seven, like the Tennessee game. It's just not going to happen. And the crazy thing is, as bad as last night's second half really was, they pretty much played a slightly below average game by their standards. As far as the numbers are concerned, that's the crazy thing As bad as it looked optically, right? They're averaging 29 points a game on offense. They scored 27. And they're allowing 14 points a game on defense. They allowed 17. 
So you look at those numbers, right? Slightly less than average scoring on offense and slightly more points allowed than they usually do on defense. So you take it all away, right? A great first half, an abomination of a second half. You kind of round it all up. And when you when you get the, the sum total of everything that happened last night, it was just a below average performance. But when you're average, when the Buffalo Bills have an average that's so much higher than the rest of the leagues, a below average performance is still going to be a game where you don't allow 20 points, you score nearly 30 points, and you win by double digits. It's pretty wild. We have every right as fans today to feel icky about that game last night because that's the last thing we saw leaving that game. But you have to look at the grand total. You have to look at the grand sum of things. And am I going to let one half in a game where they played an extraordinary half, am I going to let one half out of the 14 halves they've played thus far this season make me think that long-term there's a concern when they still win by 10, they're still six and one, and there's still not a team that I watched yesterday during that slate of football that looks nearly as impressive as the Buffalo Bills do. Let's get to some super chats. Here comes James, my man. James saying, I put some blame on this with Dorsey. Why don't we have some design run plays in the red zone to get the ball? I think that's a really good point. You know, all this talk about, hey, let's bring in Kamara or whatever. Listen, the trade deadline's tomorrow. I don't see it happening. I just don't see a big move happening. But I think if anything was going to happen, it would have happened last week. I know there's a ton of rumors, you know, people making uh, phone calls and that, that gets leaked out or whatever. Everybody wants to go to Buffalo. You don't think Kamara wants to go to Buffalo? You don't think any above average receiver in this league wants to catch passes from Josh Allen? Of course, the Buffalo Bills wind up leaking as the team that could make the move. I just don't see it. Tomorrow's the deadline. But the one thing everybody keeps talking about is, you know, uh, we should have we given up the bag for McCaffrey. And I know you see him play yesterday. It would be nice. I mean, a throwing touchdown, a catching touchdown, a rushing touchdown. The dude's insane. The dude's incredible. He's, he's probably the best at the position right now and has been for some time when healthy. It was a great get for San Fran, but they needed Christian McCaffrey. They have Jimmy Garoppolo. They don't have Josh Allen. They needed that addition. I don't think the Bills needed that addition. It just would have been great, right? It would have been the, the icing on the cake. That is, a, that is a chef's creation of a cake right now at this point in time. The Niners needed Christian McCaffrey much more than the Buffalo Bills did. But there's plenty of rumors out there, the recent one being Alvin Kamara, right? But, yeah, hey, look, you, you look at yesterday, and there were some flashes from Devin Singletary that we've seen in the past, too, where you're just like, man, if they can continue to do this, it's fine. Here's a crazy stat that I don't think anybody would believe, including myself. When I saw it, I couldn't believe it. The Bills are the only team in the NFL in 2022 to have rushed for over 100 yards every single game. They're the only team in the league to do it. I mean, we're talking about the Browns who you're watching right now with the best running back tandem in the league. They haven't done it. The Seahawks, the way they've been running the ball, they haven't done it. The Titans with Derrick Henry, they haven't done it. The Bills are the only team. I just think sometimes the running can be so unimpressive looking from this team that, you know, myself included and the rest of us, we constantly harp on it. But as of late, I mean, they ran the ball pretty well against KC, did they not? Probably the best they had run the ball in a while. And then last night, it really wasn't bad either. 153 rush yards. 
Singletary for 67. Allen, once again, up there. He's just south of 50. And then James Cook got some meaningful carries. And he ran the ball five times for seven yards a clip. And the nice thing is the three runners there who had the bulk of the carries, I know Isaiah McKenzie had two, but I'm not going to throw those in because those were just kind of gadget-type plays. But the guys who got the bulk of the carries, James Cook, Josh Allen, and Devin Singletary, all three of them had a rush of at least 17 yards or more. So there is an aspect of this team now that's sort of evolving that I think was a, a real big concern. I just wonder if sometimes we overplay it. And to the point that uh, James is making here, when you have Josh Allen and his running ability and you have Devin Singletary, who last night was running the ball pretty well, he was finding the hole, hitting, hitting stride, speed looked good, navigation looked good. I agree with James. I think last night they got a bit too pass happy, especially in that one possession in the red zone where Josh Allen threw the interception. I, I don't disagree with that at all. I would not mind seeing some more uh, design runs from Ken Dorsey. Now I will say the one play that was designed to get the ball to Isaiah McKenzie on that touchdown is perfect. And look at Isaiah McKenzie. What was last night? His fifth touchdown on the year. They are utilizing him exactly how I would hope they would this season. I think that's been one of the biggest feathers in the cap of Ken Dorsey this season is finding ways to get the ball to Isaiah McKenzie. Now, of course he's had a couple of plays this season that were, you know, real mind numbing, but his totality of uh, work this season has been pretty top tier out of a guy that not many people outside of Buffalo know. And from a guy that last year had one touchdown total on the whole season and was very underutilized. I really like that play a lot because you see the twitchiness of Isaiah McKenzie. They got him the ball on the outside. He does a little juke move and boom, he's, he's got the speed to get by anybody and he's in the end zone. So I did like that play design from Ken Dorsey, but I will agree with you there. I would like to see a bit more of it, especially the way they were running the ball last night. wasn't bad at all. Let's get to Carl here. Carl coming in saying, when it was first and goal from the three-yard line, they don't even try to run the ball at all. all right, we're sticking on the same topic here. Uh, Devin and James proved they could run. Why not run? Uh, well, I'm guessing the Zach question mark is referring to Zach Moss. I don't know what it is. I, I heard Rico last night say, hey, but maybe potentially moving him. We'll find out by tomorrow. Wouldn't I mean, wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. Clearly, James Cook got more carries than usual last night for a reason. Devin Singletary has been playing well. And then, of course, you have the element of Josh Allen in the run game as well. Zach Moss just doesn't get used much in this offense. And when he does, when he is in, it's not anything spectacular. I don't know if they move him or not. It wouldn't blow my mind. But it's essentially the same uh, point earlier that Carl uh, Carl's making now to, uh, to match what James was saying just a second ago there. Um, I agree with you. Uh, that, that first and goal play was awful. I hated it. It's too bunched up and it's too closed in for Josh Allen to take a snap under center and fire an absolute laser three yards in front of him on a slant route that was completely covered. I hated that play call. But that's a mixture of play calling and Josh Allen just actually executing it, right? Just because the play is called doesn't mean you, you run it. You take that snap and realize that the guy you're throwing to, it was either Davis or digs the, the guy you're intending to throw it to is completely covered and it's it's just uh it's not going to work getting a, a guy a ball 70 miles an hour three yards away when he's got a guy in his face I hated that and then you blink and it was third down and once again Josh Allen just trying to force something that wasn't there on that third down and it was picked off I absolutely hated that throw especially because of the situation it was in three points there really puts a nail in the coffin you did not need a touchdown there 
I mean, a touchdown there completely ends the game. Because at that point, I think it makes it a four-score lead. A field goal still allows it to be a three-score lead, but it would still be a three-touchdown lead, not a two-touchdown and a field goal type game. A field goal makes all the difference there. Green Bay had no time in the world to score three touchdowns, nor do they have the talent level to do so either. Josh Allen being an MVP candidate, being the guy that he is and we've known him to become, and having you know, the experience that he has under his belt now, that just cannot happen. It can happen. But, you know, I've said this a couple of times this season. If, if it's going to happen, let it happen in a game like last night where even when it did go to the Packers on that interception, you're like, man, that sucks. What the hell is Josh Allen doing? Uh, that was just awful. But then, you know, in the next breath, you're like, it, it's still 27 to 10. I mean, there's no way the Packers are winning this game. See, we look at every game now, and I understand it because I do the same thing, and I think this is just where we are as Bills fans because this is the new reality. We look at every game through the lens of if they played like this against the Chiefs or if they played like this in the Super Bowl, are they going to win? That's how we look at it. But last, and and, and I understand that because I look at every game like that, right? And I've told you this before, and I am a firm believer of this. Style points do matter. You earn respect in the league, not by getting victories, but by how you get the victories and how you play. I mean, there's a reason the New York Giants do not have a a whole lot of respect throughout the league right now, right? And we saw it yesterday. They finally meet a a, a team in the Seahawks who has a great offense, and they just, they they couldn't handle it. They They aren't good enough. Or like the Jets yesterday, who have been on a on a winning streak here. You meet a Belichick defense and a you know average offense, and they just they don't have what it takes. You think the Jets or the Giants going into yesterday, besides despite being five and two and six and one, do you think that they have the respect level the Bills do? No, it's not just record; it's how you win, who your personnel is, and how those guys play on a week in and week out basis. So we look at these guys through the lens of if they're going to play like this in the Super Bowl or in the AFC Championship or the Divisional, are they going to win the game? Well, the reality of the situation, and I need to remind myself this too, last night was not a playoff game. It wasn't the Super Bowl. It wasn't the AFC Championship. It wasn't the Chiefs. It wasn't the Eagles, right? It was the Green Bay Packers who they had a 24-7 to lead on. They were 11-point favorites. They're at home. They play a terrific first half, and they let their foot off the the brakes and or the the gas pedal. They kind of hit the brakes and uh, made a couple of just bonehead plays in the second half. Two in which Josh Allen is completely aware of. It's the first thing he mentioned in his post game con for or his post game interview with the sideline reporter from uh, NBC, and it's the first thing that he mentioned in his post game presser. Just how he can't be doing that. He's aware of how bad those plays were. He knows it, right? He's not negating it obviously. But we're looking at, we're looking at every game through that lens. And you just have to remind yourself that the bills aren't going to play nickel defense the hundred percent of the game. If in the super bowl, they're getting gashed on the run uh, in the run game and allowing the, the, the team to score. Right now, say for instance, they're in the super bowl and they're playing the Eagles who have miles Sanders and Jalen hurts can run the ball and say that they're gashing them like the Packers did last night, and they're getting into the end zone, right? Leslie Frazier's not just going to sit there on his hands and say, oh, well, we'll get back there next year and, and try it again. No, that's not what's going to happen. It's going to be a completely different mindset. Last night, you got a 24-7 to lead. They, they're doing nothing but running the ball, 
And I understand it was just not good run D, right? I'm like I said earlier, Leslie Frazier didn't go into half saying, all right, guys, just let them walk down the field. But they were going to allow them to run the ball. And they did so in a way that just did not result in any success for Green Bay as far as putting points on the board. If the game was a Super Bowl-type game, right, or a playoff game, you're not going to see that performance from the defense or Leslie Frazier. And in my opinion, I don't think Josh Allen just falls asleep at the wheel in the second half like he did last night. We have two playoff games um, this past, I mean, in this calendar year to fall back on to kind of give ourselves an idea of what it might be like to see Josh Allen in a situation like that. And it just so happened to be probably his two greatest games of his career. Two of the greatest games a quarterback has really ever played. So it's really tough to do that, right? It's really tough to, to have it both ways because you do, you do inevitably look at every game through that lens as we should, because this is a Super Bowl team but it's just not going to be the 2020 vision through that lens that you hope to see every week. But the fact that you wind up getting a victory at the end of the day, man, as crazy as it sounds and as much as I do believe in the style points and, and, and the way that you kind of put the league on notice, they all do count the same regardless. Oh, the, uh, this is the, the hot button question of the week. Zbot, what would you give up tonight? for Kareem Hunt to join the Bills before midnight. Hmm, Kareem Hunt. I, I, I thought I was going to see Kamara in there. I saw the K, and I was thinking I was going to see Kamara. But Kareem Hunt, hmm, that's interesting. You know, I'm, I'm starting to wonder here. I'm start, and, I, and, and, you know, the Chiefs the other day made a, made a great move for Kadarius Toney. They gave up next to nothing. He wanted out of the Giants organization. I mean, that's a first round draft pick from two years ago. I love that move from KC, but in my opinion, that tells me that that takes them out of the OBJ sweepstakes. And now everybody's kind of saying that it's going to be Buffalo who gets OBJ. Like I've told you in the past, I haven't changed my mind on this. If they get him great, if they can bring him in and, and it winds up helping them even this much to get a Super Bowl win, sign me up. I mean, who out here wouldn't sign up for that? I just don't think bringing Odell Beckham Jr. in, uh, completely alters this team to the point of like, they're already the best offense in the league. Oh my God. Now look at them. They're, they're, tw they're twice as good. I think they'd be marginally better if that, I mean, they're already so good on offense, bringing OBJ in. Yeah. I mean, it would, it, if it helps out, I'm, I'm all for it. I just don't know how much you expect from that, especially after his second ACL injury, but the running back situation is interesting. But I think after last night, you see James Cook get much more burn. They got him involved in the pass game, which looked great, especially on that one play that got him into the red zone. He was averaging seven yards of carry. Um, I don't know. I mean, Kareem Hunt's one of those guys. Of course, he had that major incident when he was with Kansas City. That's why he had to get moved from Kansas City. They weren't going to get rid of him if it wasn't for that. The Browns take him in, and we know the Browns are no strangers to taking in guys that uh, – have a bit of a track record. I don't know if Kareem Hunt necessarily fits the bill here, um, but the way the way he plays, yeah, it's 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 pretty pretty damn good football as far as the running back position is concerned. He's very underutilized in Green Bay because of how good Nick Chubb is. I don't know what I'm giving up. I don't know what I'm giving up. I I wonder if the Browns are more likely to take less than what the asking price has been for these running backs because they do have Nick Chubb. But the rumor that came out about Alvin Kamara was that the Saints 
were expecting to get about as much as the Carolina Panthers got for Christian McCaffrey. Well, there's a reason the Bills didn't give up what the Niners did for Christian McCaffrey because they're not willing to do it. And that's why they're not going to get Alvin Kamara. And I'd have to imagine that when you're taking a look here at, at Kareem Hunt, the asking price, it's not going to be at the level of Kamara or uh, McCaffrey, but I don't know if uh, third round pick, fourth round pick or whatever Bean would be willing to give up, even a second round pick. I don't know if they do it. Tonight, I don't even know. I, I don't know where I'm at with that. I really, I'm really, I really don't know. Obviously, you want to, I just, the other thing too about this running situation, you know, we're seeing, we're seeing these running backs, these young running backs. You know, Kenneth Walker right now for Seattle, he's probably going to win the offensive uh, rookie of the year, or he potentially could. And then, you know, Brees Hall with Green Bay, or with uh, the New York Jets, he was going to win offensive rookie of the year if he didn't tear his ACL. Those are two real young running backs who have gotten a ton of opportunities with their team, mainly because of, you know, the lack of eliteness at the quarterback position, not to uh, dismiss what Geno Smith's been doing. Tip your cap to that, man. I'm loving watching those Seahawks and Geno Smith. That is just, what a, what a story. What a comeback story for Geno Smith. I love that. But, you know, Geno Smith, he's not Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Joe Burrow. So they lean on their run game a bit more. And plus, you know, Pete Carroll is a run first quarter, uh, run first um, coach, except for when he's on the one yard line with Marshawn Lynch against the uh, New England Patriots in the Super Bowl. But I digress. There's those teams are built to run the ball, right? The Jets and the and the Seahawks, but those two running backs. The reason I bring them up, they've been playing extraordinary, or they were playing extraordinary until injury hit. We have not seen enough of James Cook, I think, to just bail on it yet. I just got through telling you that this Bills team is the only team in the league to rush for a hundred plus in a game, and I'm not sitting here saying that they don't need to get better at the running back position or that they don't need to be able to rely on it more than they usually do. Because when I do say those hundred plus yards a game, we all know that a lot of those yards are coming from Josh Allen. And we would like to cut that back some as time goes on. I just look at what Kenneth Walker's done. And I looked at what Brees Hall was doing. I don't think we've given James cook enough of a fair shake here. You, you draft him as early as you do right in the second round. Are we not going to give him a bit more burn before we decide to go all in on another running back, a proven running back who probably is not going to be uh, given that the team is not going to be given the, comp, the the proper compensation for that player that they're looking for. Bean's not going to be willing to give it up. I just think in this current market, after what McCaffrey got, teams are going to want too much. I think the bills have been making phone calls for the last several weeks. Nothing really wound up panning out as far as being thinking that he was going to get value for what the teams were asking for. And I think you couple that with the fact that James Cook just has not played enough to just bell on it yet. I would really like to see him get a lot more interaction with this offense. And not for nothing too, Singletary over the last couple of weeks it has been more than fine. I really do think that that's accurate. You know, part of it is sometimes they, like we were talking about earlier in the red zone, part of it is just sometimes they don't go to it. That's another thing. To answer your question, though, James, I don't know what I'd give up for Kareem Hunt tonight, mainly because whatever I think I would give up, the Bills wouldn't. And I also think that as I'm sitting here racking my brain, I just don't know if, if I don't know if I'm making that move either. I just don't think I'm making that move for Kareem Hunt.
Carl coming back in here again. Appreciate all you guys tonight. 216 loud and proud in here on the smoke break on Halloween. Do me a favor. Make sure to hit that like button when you get a sec. That's always um, much appreciated. And then, of course, subscribe. I know the majority of you already are, but I have to say it because I have a microphone and this is YouTube. And every time you watch somebody on YouTube, that's what they say. And by the way, you know what's funny? I I, I like rarely ever say that, by the way, mainly because I just forget to do it. Not not for any really not for any reason other than that. You know, if you ever just watch YouTube and like say the video is 10 minutes long, I swear to God, three minutes of the video is dedicated to that person telling me to like and subscribe because of how much it helps out the algorithm. Look, I understand how YouTube works. I get it. If I like the video, I'm going to like it. If you're cool and I like your content, I'm going to subscribe. And I understand you got to tell me. You're obligated to tell me, as am I. I'm going to I'm gonna let you know. Hey, shoot me a like. I'd appreciate it. But don't dedicate half the video to it. I'm not going to like it. Anyway, Carl. Isaiah ran for a TD, but I was more proud of Isaiah for wrapping up Stefan and guiding him away from Alexander after Stefan scored, looking out for wide receiver one. You know, that whole situation, I don't know what that was. All I know is the second I saw Stefan Diggs, uh, John with Jair Alexander coming out of the gate, I knew Stefan Diggs was going to have an unbelievable game. That is a guy you do not want to piss off. Stephon Diggs is that type of guy who's going to find motivation for you just looking at him the, the wrong way. He is a guy that I would not want to piss off. If you go over to my Twitter right now, at ZachB22, there's a clip of him afterwards uh, in the post game. He was asked about it by the uh, the press, and he said, um, you know, behind a couple of expletives, that he, he doesn't know who started it, but he sure as hell finished it. And you could just look at his demeanor and body language, and I tweeted out, that is a man right there who could go play four more quarters against those Green Bay Packers if he had to. That's how fired up he was in that game, before the game, and even clearly after the game. And you look at the stat sheet, and what do you know? Another unbelievably terrific performance from the best wide receiver in the game right now. I mean, Josh Allen only had 13 completions, which, by the way, I haven't mentioned that really all, all, all night tonight. That is insane. I'd have to go back and look. I can't remember the last time Josh Allen had that few completions. I mean, that, that really is nuts. And the fact that he had 218 yards on only 13 catches is pretty wild. But of those 218 yards, uh, Stephon Diggs had half of them. And of those 13 receptions, Stephon Diggs had just about half of those as well. He had six. I knew right out of the gates. Right when I saw that video of those two barking at each other coming out of the locker room, I go, man, Jair Alexander, first of all, what are you doing? You're in Buffalo. Your team blows. Your team it, it, it has no leg to stand on coming into this game. You're double-digit dogs. You've lost three straight games to, to just mediocre teams. Your whole, your whole team's falling apart. Your quarterback's talking crap about your entire organization, which seems like daily. You're going to come out and jaw with the best wide receiver in the league and a team who right now is playing the best football in this league? I mean, I don't know. I, I understand, you know, a chip on your shoulder, getting fired up, getting into the game, but that was a little bit much. Um, so I, I understand what you're saying there. And Isaiah McKenzie doesn't strike. He's, a, he's like, the I love him. I just, you know how much I love him. Not only because I like the way he plays, but I just love him as a guy. He's got, the, he's got the greatest smile. He just seems like the most charismatic, fun, nice guy. So I think that that really is in his wheelhouse there to kind of keep Diggs back. Diggs is that, I mean, he's that pit bull, man. I would not want to piss him off. Um, and I'm all right with all that stuff, by the way. The one thing I'm not all right with is what Gabe Davis did late in the game. Look, Gabe, come on. Come on, man. 
they, 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 they could have either salted the game away on that drive and, or, or kicked a field goal or continue to, to run the ball or whatever the hell else. And, you know, for no reason, Gabe Davis shoves Jair Alexander and gets that, that uh, unsportsmanlike conduct penalty and it extended the game and it wound up giving Green Bay the ball back. And I know at the time it didn't really, you know, it, it wasn't going to affect the outcome, but it's just, it's a moment like that where you just got to keep your composure. Because we've seen teams do this, and it cost them the game. How about the Carolina Panthers yesterday? Who was it? DJ Moore on that unbelievable Hail Mary from the PJ or TJ Walker there? Or is PJ, TJ, I always mix it up. But that unbelievable Hail Mary, and he takes his helmet off in the end zone. They're going to win the game. They're going to they're have a, an extra point, win the game as time expires, takes his helmet off. It backs the kicker up for a 48-yard extra point, and they wind up losing in overtime. You got to have self-awareness. You cannot do boneheaded crap like that. You get away with it when you win and you're up by a ton or whatever. It's little things like that that I just hate to see because those are the things that I think people, I think guys would do in any situation. Like yesterday, you saw it with, with Carolina. I think it's a learning moment for Gabe Davis. You don't, see, you don't see it a lot from this Bills team. And I don't know what the hell the whole situation was. Jair Alexander said he was, uh, he called Stephon Diggs a, a boy. And he, uh, what is it, that he owns him or whatever. And then he doubled down after the game and said that he was the one who finished it or whatever. Dude, first of all, you got your ass kicked. You allowed 24 points in the first half and Josh Allen threw the, threw the offense away in the second half. Congrats, you had an interception, I guess. I mean, you know, good for you. You lost by double digits, and Stephon Diggs had another career day. So, hey, I mean, if it, I don't know. I'm not a cornerback. Some of these guys, I don't know what it is that, that motivates these guys. Sometimes I don't think it's winning. Different breed. The cornerback position, different breed. Jeff King! Everybody give it up for my main man, Jeff King. Good to see you in here tonight, Jeff. Happy Halloween to you, my brother. And look at your super chat is orange. Very fitting for the holiday. I love it. No excuses, Bob, says Jeff King. Meaningful or not, why would Josh make those shit-ass decisions? I thought we were out of the sugar-high Allen stage. These are games you tune up on, not digress. I love Josh. Josh, stop chasing that a-hole in KC. Couple things there. So, I'm glad you bring up the quote-unquote, as Jeff just said, the a-hole in KC. I think he might be referring to a guy by the name of Patrick Mahomes, right? So there's two guys in this league that can make plays like what Jeff King's referring to here, right? The little flip plays, the little, oh my God, he still has the ball. He just ran a hundred yards behind the line of scrimmage. What is he doing? Oh my God, touchdown, right? It's him and it's him and Mahomes. Both of these guys, and Josh Allen isn't the only one, both of these guys fall victim to their own talent at times. They're so good at extending the play and they're so good at making highlight real plays that at times they will do so to a fault. And yesterday you saw Josh Allen do it twice. To answer your question, Jeff, where you say, I thought we were out of the sugar high Allen stage. We are out of that stage because the sugar high Allen stage was those type of plays on about a 60% clip per snap. And now you're getting it, what, maybe maybe 5%? You're never going to completely get rid of the sugar high within Josh Allen. And, and honest to God, you don't want to. Because it's that element of him that makes him one of, if not the best quarterback in the game. Perfect example yesterday. 
on their opening drive, or not their opening drive, they went three and out, but on their first scoring drive, Josh Allen runs the ball to about the three yard line, right? And he gets absolutely blown up. He gets to, he gets lit up on the head. And we've seen, you know, some quarterbacks, they'll just lay there. Some might not even get back in the game after a hit like that. I mean, some might be bitching to the ref. Hey, did you see that? Whatever. What does Josh Allen do? The dude is out of his mind. He gets up. He's laughing his ass off, and he looks the D-back in the, in the eyes, and he says, I love it. I love it. I mean, the, the dude is just he's an animal. He's a whole different breed, and that, of course, is why he and Mahomes have separated themselves from everybody else. It's not even close. That's what makes Josh Allen great. It's that. It's that tenacity. It's that desire to extend the play. It's that desire to make every play extraordinary. But of course, with great power comes great responsibility. To quote my favorite superhero of all time and my favorite fictional uncle of all time, Uncle Ben. With great power comes great responsibility. And Josh Allen has terrific power. But sometimes he abuses it a bit. And I think we saw that yesterday twice because both of those interceptions it to me it's no coincidence both of those interceptions were on third down where Josh Allen did not want to concede the drive that is what that is there's no coincidence there both of those interceptions were on third down where Josh Allen simply did not want to get off the field because he wants to be the guy who we've seen do this numerous times he wants to be the guy to extend the play right extend the drive make the extraordinary play and keep the chains moving he's done a terrific job of of eliminating that type of errant play from his game at a at a large clip but my overall point here to jeff and to everybody else who of course gets frustrated like myself when josh allen does these things you got to take the good with the bad because if it wasn't for him doing crap like that, that winds up resulting in interceptions, then it, then you wouldn't see half the amazing stuff that he does. It's, it's, it's the good with the bad, you know, every superhero in every movie or comic you've ever read or seen, they all have their kryptonite, right? They all have their, their weakness that inevitably comes from their power. And I think with Josh Allen, the weakness is that sometimes he does not know his own strength. and Sometimes he, he just can't help himself from being the person who's going to make the play. Now, a really good example of a guy that does stuff like this, but is terrible and it hurts his team is Zach Wilson, right? I don't encourage you to go watch any New York Jets football anytime soon. Unfortunately for you and for all of us, we're going to have to watch it this week. But thank God, uh, Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills will be on the other side of things because Zach Wilson right now is playing some of the worst football I have ever seen being played at the quarterback position. I am not even trying to be funny or over-exaggerating. It is egregiously bad. I mean, I I just can't even fathom how bad it is. I watched a lot of that uh Patriots Jets game yesterday and I mean I thought Mac Jones was bad which he is I mean that's a real rough watch hell that watching that game yesterday I would have rather watched uh I, honest to God I'd, I'd probably I'd probably be putting cuffs for telling you what I'd rather watch seriously I mean I'd, I'd, I'd rather watch I don't know grass grow paint dry 
My dog's sleep. I don't know. I don't know why I said cuffs. Poor, I don't know. Maybe that just goes to show you the extent of things I'd rather watch that are, that are just, I mean, I don't know. It was, it's that bad. Let's just, let's just say it that way. It's that bad. But to think that anybody could be worse than Mac Jones in that game, you watch the Jets take snaps, and I mean, my God. It's so bad. And you see what happens when a player who doesn't have the capabilities of extending a play and making extraordinary plays tries to do so. It's Zach Wilson. It's awful. He threw two of the worst picks I've ever seen in my life yesterday. And they scored 10 points. They can't score. They can't move the ball. So you could have that, right? You could have a guy that does stuff like that and also has no, has no special abilities. With Josh Allen, you're going to get some of that maybe once every couple weeks or maybe, you know, once a drive or not or, or on one drive in a game, uh, one drive a game or something like that. But the thing is, you, you, you got to be okay with it because as much as it sucks watching that, it is also the reason you get so much greatness from him as well. And I, I, I like that yesterday he, he's fully aware, and I think there's a lot of quarterbacks in this league and a lot of players who are completely tone deaf to the things that they do. Hell, Jair Alexander, like we were just talking about, is a perfect example. How do you double down after that game yesterday and say, oh, you were the one who ended it or whatever? How do you double down on that, man? Just take the L. You got your ass kicked. You're running your mouth all game, and, and, and I mean, you know, for what? For what? With Josh Allen, at least the first thing he says after a game in which they put up 27 and he had a terrific first half and they, you know, win by double digits. The first thing he says after the game when he's talking to the media is he's talking about how bad of a, a second half he had and about how bad those two throws were. So I think, you know, he looks at that and he's got and he, and he learns from it. I know that it, we, we say, we've said this before, but we have seen him learn from it. I just think it's going to, it takes, it takes more time to, once you get to the level he's at right now, because he's eliminated the bulk of that, right? I still think it takes more time to kind of weed out the lesser end of those things. You know how when you're charging your phone and you can charge your phone from like zero to 50 really quick, but then when it gets to like 75, it takes a lot longer to get to 75 to a hundred. I think we saw Josh Allen do that charge from like zero to 50, as far as getting rid of all that stuff. Now we're in the stage where over time, we'll see that we'll see the small margins kind of be weeded out of his game over time. But I also do think we're never going to see it fully gone and we're going to have to just be okay with it. And you got to cross your fingers that it doesn't cost you games. And so far this season, it really hasn't. So that's my roundabout answer on that. And I understand completely what everybody's saying, including Jeff here. It's like, you know, you see all that, and, and your first fear is that the sugar high Allen is back. I just don't think after what we've seen from him over the last couple of seasons that, that we can draw that conclusion after a, a half a play last night, after an extraordinary first half. I just don't think we draw that conclusion just yet. Now, if you were to, if you were to compound that with a game like that against the Jets next week, which, hey, really good defense coming into town next week, they're coming into uh, their own town to play the Bills. Bills going to uh, MetLife. You know, if we see that again, and then if we see it the following week against a six and one, uh, excuse me, against a six and one uh, Minnesota Vikings team, then there's cause for concern. But until then, 
I'm just going to take the good with the bad and, and chalk that up as a really bad second half for Josh Allen, which is easy to do, by the way, in a victory. Easy to do. And I'm fully aware of that, and I'm full self, you know, fully willing to, to be uh, honest there. Because if they lose that game last night, I think we, the narrative on Josh Allen today in that second half is, is way different. But it's a lot easier to swallow those things and move on with a victory. James coming in again. My question about Hunt is mainly because we don't seem to have a bigger back on these short red zone situations, which seem to struggle with. Yeah, I mean, I agree with that. Right? I don't know if Kareem Hunt is that big back, though. Because even with the Browns in those red zone situations, they use Nick Chubb because he is the big, physical, powerful back that's going to be able to run you over, especially in a situation that's, you know, short yardage to get into the end zone. But there's not many Derrick Henrys running around out there. And I just don't think Kareem Hunt is that much more of that guy than what they currently have. And by the way, what they do currently have is a quarterback who's bigger, stronger, and faster than just about anybody else in this league. And that's who you utilize in that short position like that. Just don't know if they've been doing that as much recently. I'd like to see more of that. If you're going to run Josh Allen, do it down there. That's where you're going to find the most success. He's built for that type of running. What else we got going on down here? Uh, hope you guys are all enjoying your uh, Halloween this evening, by the way. I don't know how many guys had trick-or-treaters come in tonight. I see my ring doorbell has been going off a good amount, so we've been getting a decent amount, which is cool. Halloween is back after uh, its hiatus and trick-or-treating and stuff, which I think is cool. And uh, I was expecting Josh Allen to wear a costume yesterday, but he didn't. I was cool with that, though, by the way, because I think that you go into that game, you got to be all business. You got to be all business, but I think that it would have been funny. Although I did love the Ron Burgundy uh, hype video that he put out. That was great. If you haven't seen that, go over to Josh Allen's Instagram. He put out a cool hype video the other night, which was fun. I thought he might have gone into the stadium yesterday as uh, Ron Burgundy. I thought he was going to, I thought he was teasing that a bit, but I guess not. Um, the one other thing about Josh Allen yesterday that I thought, honest to God, I think to kind of, you know, wrap up the whole conversation on, on, on Allen's performance yesterday. Um, the one thing I think that stood out the most, even, even more so than those two interceptions, because those are the obvious ones, the throw to, to, uh, to Jake Kumaro on third and seven. Man, what was that? Allen's, I don't know if you remember, late in the game, Allen's rolling out to his right side, and, and he's, they need about seven yards or so. He's got Jake Kumaro. I mean, I'm talking wide open, wide ass open. And he threw that ball probably five yards over his head. So I don't know what got into the mind of Josh Allen last night. I just hope that he gets it back on track for this coming week. And that's where I want to pick things up right now before we end it. And that is to preview next week, week nine, Bills, Jets, the only the second divisional game thus far for the Buffalo Bills this season. The Bills are 6-1, and one, and their one loss, oh, have you forgotten? It came in the division. How many times have you heard, oh, the Bills are 0-1 in their division? <laughs> like, insert that laughing meme that I like to tweet out a lot. Like, okay, wow. They're going to get another crack this coming week. The Jets finally suffer a loss. The Bills go out to MetLife to face their the New York Jets for the first of two meetings this week, uh, this year. And I think a lot of us would not have expected the records to indicate what they would going into this game, but here we are. The bills are six and one. I think we all expected that 
I don't think anybody expected the Jets to be even above 500, much less two games above 500. So could be more of an interesting game than we were led to believe early on this year. But I think things might go in the way that we anticipate them to. So before we get into a preview of that game, now a quick word from our friends over at BetUS. Oh, I hope you didn't bet the game last night if you're a, if you're a, if you're a betting Bills fan because um, they were 11-point favorites. They were up by more than 11 pretty much the whole game, and they won by 10. Vegas does not build the Bellagio on the backs of winners, folks. That is for sure. But, hey, it's still fun to play, and if you're going to play, you should use our friends over at BetUS. They're great. Great platform. We're offering uh, a bonus right now when you sign up with them through the Buffalo Fanatics. So here is a quick word from our friends over at how often does this happen to me where I'm just, where is it? Here it is, BetUS. Football is back, and so is BetUS.com for our 28th year of NFL action. With live in-game betting, incredible odds with daily odds boosters, props, parlays, fast payouts, and exceptional customer service, BetUS has it all. Sign up today at BetUS.com. BetUS, where the game begins. You heard the man, and the man is me, BetUS promo. You can see the code up in the top of your screen right now, right now. And you can go into the description of this video and get all the details there as well. So shout out to BetUS and the Bills. Uh, speaking of betting, going into this week, what do you know? They're once again double-digit favorites. And last I checked, 12 and a half point favorites on the road against the New Jersey Jets. Interesting, right? The Jets going into this season, yes, of course, they had a great draft. They have Robert Sala now, and you were hoping the tide would turn if you're a Jets fan, and I think that it did to some extent. I was on the AFC East roundtable a couple weeks ago, and we were talking Jets, and I said, you know, there's no way that this isn't going to falter out at some point. The way that the Jets were winning games was so unsustainable that it was going to be inevitable at some point in this season. It was just kind of, it was going to fold. And then when you lose Elijah Vera Tucker and when you lose Brees Hall, that was really the, uh, the, ne- the, the, the nail in the coffin. And we saw on full display yesterday exactly that. Without a run game and without their top offensive linemen, this Jets team is a shell of itself. Now, they do have, uh, in some rankings here, they do have the best overall defense in the league. Um, and, you know, they can give you problems scoring the ball. The problem is they cannot match your point total despite how good their defense is. Their offense is about as bad as you will ever see in the uh, in the National Football League. Uh, I, like I told you a bit ago, I, I watched the majority of that game yesterday, and I'm not being hyperbolic here at all. I'm, I'm really not trying to be over – I'm not really trying to over-exaggerate. I'm not trying to, to – trounce on the jets here. I, I'm just telling it like I see it, man. Uh, you know, Zach, Zach Wilson is, is so bad. It, it, it's just so bad. And I, I look at, I look at what's coming to town this week. The bills defense is going to eat that team for lunch. I it's going to be disgusting. I understand, you know, you, you watch last night's second half. Oh, I don't know. You can't say that about anybody anymore. I can say it about the jets. Okay. I, I promise you that. 
I promise you that. I, I don't know. I can't speak for the offense in the Bills. The Jets got a great defense. We'll see what happens. Sauce Gardner will be on digs. It'll be his, it'll be an opportunity for that rookie to go against a top-tier wide receiver. Should be a fun matchup there. But I'm, if I'm speaking in, in, in straight terms of defense versus offense here as far as the Bills defensive unit and the Jets offensive unit. I mean, you can pretty much put a, put a bow on this game already. There is no possible way that the Jets find a way to score more than twice in this game, if that. I mean, I they put up 17 against the uh, the Patriots. Uh, it was 20-something to 10 the majority of that game. They only had 10 or so points the majority of that game. I think they scored a touchdown with two minutes left in garbage time. So 22 to 17, the Patriots win yesterday over the Jets, and that score is not nearly indicative of just how bad the Jets were on offense. They did not play well enough to score 17, and like I just said, they scored a late one to get to that 17-point total. Uh, Mac Jones, less than a 50% completion percent. Not Mac Jones. What's the difference, I guess, the way both these guys are playing. Uh, but Zach Wilson, uh, 20 of 41, so under a 50% completion percentage. 355 yards, don't let that fool you. I mean, he completed it 20 times. I don't even know how the hell he got to that total. Three interceptions and two of which were just uh, as bad as it could possibly get. I mean, it was just extraordinarily bad. His play... His quarterback play is so bad that it's actually costing them games. I mean, if he if he would have even have played a, a managerial type role yesterday for this Jets team, they could have wound up winning the game. It was close enough all game. New England couldn't pull away against the Jets defense. Mac Jones did not look good again. The the Patriots offense isn't anything special. So, you know, had the Jets just played a a, a mediocre game really from the quarterback, they might have gotten the job done. But he threw two of the most egregious interceptions I've ever seen. They both two of them came in the second half, um, and I look at what's coming to town, and it's this Bills defense who's allowing 14 points a game, one of the best pass rushes in the league. Tre'Davious White, we find out today that he is going to be uh, activated this coming week. I wonder what the 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 move's going to be taking a look here right now. So he will be activated to the 53 man roster, but of course he has to be because once you wind up coming off of IR, the bills will have, they would have 21 days to activate him. So it's either they activate him or they put him back on IR. Obviously they're going to activate him. Uh, McDermott though, you know, he continues to say it's day to day and, and, you know, practice to practice. So we'll see. And I've said this before. I'm not the biggest fan of like, just sit on your hands and and kind of, I don't know, just pass a game by because you know that you're so much better than the opponent. But the Bills do not need Tredavious White in this Jets game to, to win by, by three touchdowns. They don't need Tredavious White out there to ball hawk uh, Zach Wilson. Trust me. What they have out there is plenty enough ac- adequate. However... I really, really would like to see Tredavious White back for the Minnesota Vikings game the following week because Justin Jefferson is one of the best in the league. And hey, look, they're a quiet 6-1, and one, but a 6-1 and one nonetheless. And Kirk Cousins in the 1 o'clock window is not a bad quarterback. I know the majority of the time when you watch Kirk Cousins, it's usually in prime time, and we all know that how bad that is. Oh, excuse me. That is four o'clock. My bad. I forgot. Either way, he's, he's good. And he's good in the uh, afternoon slots. I forgot that that game is a, an afternoon game or a late afternoon game. Um, either way though, 
Kirk Cousins, more than adequate of a quarterback during the day. I don't know what happens at nighttime with Kirk Cousins, but it it, it goes south quick. Um, now, Jake in here coming up with a great point. So we do know that Jor- uh, Jordan Poyer said something. He felt like something popped yesterday. His girlfriend, Rachel Bush, I don't know how much salt you or I don't know how much um, uh, steak you can put into this, but she said that she felt like he was going to be fine. I don't know exactly what that means. Um, I did see that, though. Uh, he told reporters that he did feel like he felt a, a pop or he heard a pop. Um, he set out for a decent amount of that second half yesterday. If he's not in, you would probably say, okay, maybe it would be beneficial to have Tredavious White in here as opposed to if Jordan Poyer um, you know, was playing. We'll see what happens there. We'll obviously know throughout the week. I have not heard any update uh, on Jordan Poyer. I know that he went into an MRI last night um but i don't think that anything else has come out about that at least not that i have seen so it'll be interesting to see if he does wind up playing but i'm telling you right now man this jets offense it it, it currently ranks 32nd in the league it's the worst in the league it's that bad so i i, I hope jordan Poyer's okay truly because we're gonna really need him down the stretch you know what happens when he's not in it's just not the same defense but for this game as a standalone game, and I don't want to be the guy that says, oh, no, you, you know, overlooking the Jets or whatever. I'm not trying to say that. I'm just saying, I mean, I'm, I'm taking it for what it is, man. The Jets on offense are just historically bad. The quarterback play is horrendous. Their best player is injured. Their best offensive lineman is injured. The Bills were six men gone on defense against a much better offense in the Miami Dolphins, and they still held their own and then some in that game. To think that they couldn't do that, without Poyer or without Tredavious White this coming week, I mean, they're, they're fine. Um, I think more long-term about that situation when I think about Jordan Poyer and, uh, and Tredavious White. But either way, Tredavious White, you got to imagine if he's not back this week, and I'm not entirely sure he will be, I'm pretty confident we see him on the field against the Minnesota Vikings, and that really is shaping up to be a hell of a game. The way that things are looking right now, and I'll, I'll go ahead and pencil the Bills in as a, a as victorious against the Jets this weekend. Wow, I know hot take of the century right there. I'm penciling the Bills in to be seven and one, uh, and then the Vikings. They have the Washington Commanders this coming week, and they'll be favored in that game. Oh, by the way, somebody who said it was at four o'clock game, I must have looked at that wrong or whatever. That Bills Vikings game is one o'clock. So I don't, I don't know if I read the chat wrong or I just made that up or whatever, but that game is one o'clock. So to erase any confusion there, Bills Vikings is one o'clock. I thought it was, but then when somebody said four o'clock, that's for some reason made sense. I don't know. Anyway, what does it matter? One o'clock. Um, anyway, they're, they're playing the commanders. They're favored in that game. They should win that game. So if all goes according to plan, both the Bills and the Vikings for a one o'clock afternoon game will go into that matchup in Orchard Park uh, both with one loss. So that is shaping up to be a hell of a game. Really could be, uh, you know, one of the real tougher tasks for the Bills as we go out here. Because you look at the, I, we've gone over the schedule a bunch, but if you look at the Bills schedule, this Vikings game, I think over the next handful of weeks is really the game that stands out. So if you can leap over the Jets, 
um, like you expect them to. And then you go into that Vikings game, which is going to be a, it's going to be a tough matchup, but if they can get that W and I look at it this way, right? The Vikings, the only real tough game they've had all season was against the Philadelphia Eagles, who of course are still undefeated. And uh, the Eagles destroyed them. I think they beat them 24 to seven or something like that. Um, they kicked the crap out of them. So if the Bills can get over that hump, it's then Browns, Lions, Patriots, Jets um, as we get into December here. So that over the next, let's see, you know, one, two, three, four, five, six. Over the next six weeks here, the Vikings is really the only game that you you kind of look at and your eyes go, okay, all right, that's going to be a ball game. We'll see what happens. But luckily for the Bills, that game is at home, which is, uh, of course, an added benefit the way that they have been playing at home. Like I opened up the show with, statistically, they're just on another level at home right now. Um, oh, I see what you guys were talking about. About Thank you, Mike. Now that all makes sense. So I wasn't losing my mind. Mike was talking, or the guys in the chat were talking about uh, tomorrow being 4 o'clock for the trade deadline, 1 o'clock for the Vikings game. Look how easy that was. We cleared it up. Love it. Yes, tomorrow is the trade deadline. I see some people in here saying we got to make a move. You know, I see everybody on Twitter. We got to make a move. Are they going to make a move? I don't know. I don't think so. If I had, you know, if if I'm at the, the Caesars Palace tonight and I got to make a bet, somebody gave me a, a free bet to win $1,000. I got to make a bet. My money's going on no. I think we would have seen it done by now. I just, that's the way I, I feel. I think that the Bills put a lot of feelers out to guys that they did want. It just wasn't going to work out the way the Bills wanted it to, and they smartly moved off of it. And I just think at this point in time, I don't see anything really changing before four o'clock tomorrow. Would it stun me? No. Bean is in a whole different category now. We've seen a different bean, right? This season, it's a different bean. We saw that all throughout the offseason. We know if he finds somebody that he thinks that he can get for an adequate value and that can add value to this team, he will 100% do it before the trade deadline tomorrow. I just don't know who that's going to be, and I just don't know who's going to wind up wanting to do that deal with Buffalo. People keep saying running back. People keep saying wide receiver. If you look around, I think any of these guys that would be, you know, that a team would willing be willing to move off of, either they have contracts that the Bills are not going to want to get themselves married into in the long term, or um, they're going to want draft capital that the Bills are just not going to be willing to give up. So because of that, my money is on no by the four o'clock deadline tomorrow. And look, I understand everybody thinks you add a piece and it immediately makes you better. And and we're in the Super Bowl window. You got to do something. Well. It's not like it didn't do anything. I mean, this offseason was extraordinary for Buffalo. The moves that they made and how they built this team to be able to be where they are this year, it was terrific. If they can make a move tomorrow that adds to that and they get it for good value, something that I trust Bean knows how to do more than anybody else, I'm, of course, all over it. I love it. But I don't think the Bills are in a position right now where they need to do like what San Francisco did and give up a bag full of picks for McCaffrey because, like I mentioned earlier, I just think San Fran needed McCaffrey much more than the Buffalo Bills did. And I think because of that, you saw what happened. The Niners were willing to give up much more, and the Bills took themselves out of the conversation. I don't think anything drastically changes by 4 o'clock tomorrow. This team still has a lot of assets on this team going forward that need to be taken care of for the future. And they also love to build through the draft. This year was a bit different 
adding guys like Von Miller because the, of the window that they are in. But I think we've seen, I think we've seen that ex- to that, that extent, right? I think we've seen that kind of play itself out. I just think as, as long as they've had to make a move, since we're already up against the deadline here, I just don't know what magically falls out of the sky. But hey, we'll see what happens. Could be interesting. Something to look forward to tomorrow on a Tuesday without football. A nice 4 o'clock trade deadline. I'm sure some teams will be making some noteworthy moves, so it'll be cool to look forward to. Um, but to wrap it up here before the show ends, speaking of moving forward next week, Bills, Jets, thir- uh, about 13-point favorites are the Bills. It's in uh, the Meadowlands at MetLife. The, w- the one thing I look at for this game, especially after last night's performance in the second half, the Bills are going to get a really good opportunity again here to be in a game where they're probably going to win really no matter what. I mean, unless they completely implode or the defense decides to play its worst game by a mile, by a mile this coming week, I just don't see how the Bills lose. What I want to see is can the Bills redeem themselves on offense against a good defense? It's not often that you get to play perhaps, you know, you know, not really perhaps. I was going to say perhaps best defense in the league. I don't think the Jets have the best defense in the league. I think the Bills do. I think we've seen that. But the Jets definitely have a top five defense. And it's not often that you get an opportunity to play against a top five defense with the luxury of knowing that your defense is, is just as good, if not better, and the offense that they're playing is quite literally the worst in the league. That's giving you an incredible advantage. And with that advantage, I think this offense gets an opportunity to go out and have the luxury to rebound without having to be worried of, of, about doing so in a major spot. But this game, you know, it, it's, it's bigger than meets the eye. The Bills' only loss comes from the division. They definitely need to get back on track in the division here because moving forward, the bulk of the remaining of their games are in division games. And that, of course is a major tiebreaker moving forward as far as playoff seating is concerned. So it starts on Sunday. Um, I, I just, you know, the, the Bills are an infinitely better team, but the Jets aren't as bad as they were last year when the Bills were running them out of the building. But their offense truly is just as, as bad as they've ever been. So the one thing I look forward to seeing this week is can the Bills rebound after that bad second half that they had last night? against a really good Robert Sala-led defense, a really good young and -and up-and-coming defense in this New York Jets team. That's what I'm looking forward to seeing. We've seen them have terrific performances against the Jets year in and year out, but this is a much better defense than we're used to seeing from the Jets, and I'm excited to see if they're able to bounce back from that because they really do need to do so going into Minnesota. Minnesota can put up points, and that's no sleeper at all, and that really is a massive game for the Bills and for the Vikings. So I think you get a really nice tune-up game here and a really good opportunity to bounce back after a real poor performance. And I look forward to seeing if the Bills are able to pull that off. So 1 o'clock in the Meadowlands. Bills, Jets, only the second divisional game of the year. And I'm looking forward to seeing this Bills defense against Zach Wilson. That is going to be a treat. I promise you that. That Out of all the, the treats you got tonight, in your candy bag. I don't think anything will top watching that defense against Zach Wilson next week. I can tell you that for sure. All right. Taking a look down here. Eight nothing your score. Wow. Another primetime barn burner. Eight nothing Cleveland over the uh, the Bengals just before the half. Bengals, man. The identity of that team. Where is it? 
It's like I was talking about with you guys last week. You look through all these teams that the Bills can potentially play in the playoffs. They're just so inconsistent. I mean, even last night for the Bills, is, is even if you want to label it inconsistent, they were still right on par with their average for scoring on offense and right on par with their average for points allowed on defense. When you're really good, your bad games somehow still seem decent. Put it in the rear view. A win's a win. The Bills are 6-1. and one. It's off to the Jets. I'll be back with you next Monday night to recap that one, and I can't wait for it. So enjoy the rest of your week, folks. Make sure to hit that like button on the way out. Would really appreciate it. Not to be the YouTuber that says that, but hey, would love it. Have a great night, guys. Happy Halloween once again, and as always, uh, go Bills. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.